Dissonance Media and the Other Stories presents Step into the abyss of After the Gloaming, a gothic fiction podcast that delves into the depths of human emotion. Unyielding love, revenge, internal struggles, and restless souls await you in nine haunting episodes where dread, fear, and rare glimpses of eerie happiness linger. Dare to listen on your favourite podcatcher? After the gloaming beckons, search now, but beware, innocence will be left behind. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. These aren't the stories your mother told you. No, these are the other stories. <laughs> Today's episode of the other stories is Opportunity of a Lifetime, written by T.M. Friedrich and narrated by Justin Fife. They are going to say some terrible things about me. That I'm a monster and a killer, which isn't entirely false, I guess. I don't have much time, but I will try to explain while I still can. My name is Dr. Elliot Marsh, and I'm a scientist. I focus on the research and development of alternative energy sources. I have been stationed at American Research Station Endurance for the last two years. Located on the East Antarctic Ice Sheet, 22 kilometers northwest of Russia's Vostok Station. I was recruited for the project because of my work with biofuels at Cornell. And, of course, I jumped at the chance. I mean, who wouldn't? My team was studying a new strain of bacteria found in Lake Vostok, thought to be responsible for the surprisingly warm temperatures found in the subglacial waters. We initially thought that the temperatures were due to an underwater hydrothermal vent system, but that wasn't the case at all. It was the bacteria. 
Around 15 million years ago, give or take, it was unlike anything we had ever seen. The bacteria itself generated an enormous amount of heat as a byproduct of everyday cellular processes. Can you imagine the ramifications? A sustainable and totally clean biofuel? It was all very exciting. I could go on for hours, but I won't. Anyway, none of that matters now. It was June, so winter, well into six months straight of night. It was early, and I was the only one awake. I was standing by the East Bay door, drinking my coffee and watching the snow shoot sideways, illuminated by the orange entrance lights like tiny lasers on a field of gray. Then I noticed something. Someone was out there. I pressed my face against the cold window, wiping away the condensation. A figure appeared, slamming its fists onto either side of the small square opening and bashing its face into the glass leaving smears of blood and snot to flash freeze on the contact and causing my mug to slip from my hand and shatter on the floor. It was a man. We were inches apart, his wide, red-streaked eyes staring at me. He looked crazy, that's for sure, but if I didn't let him in, then he would die. I knew it had to be a colleague of mine. After all, there was nobody else out here. So I opened the door. He fell in with the wind and the cold, arms clenched to his chest, mumbling something and staring at the ceiling. He wasn't wearing a coat, and his feet were bare, the skin a deathly pale gray. I should have hit the alarm right then, but I didn't want to wake up the entire facility for frostbite, so instead I muscled the door shut and rang the medical office intercom to ask for help. I was hoping Dr. Sullivan would make the trek over. Happy as usual for any excuse to see her... I could hear the grogginess in her voice, so I knew it would be a few minutes. In the meantime, I grabbed some emergency blankets from the cabinet and knelt beside him. I covered those horrendous feet first, then unrolled the blanket toward his head, tucking it under his shoulders. I added another, but when I moved up towards his head, he grabbed me by the collar and pulled me down to his face. He was ridiculously strong. I thought he was going to try to bite me, but he put his bloody mouth right against my ear and whispered, hear you. They're going to kill me. It's true. You know that? 46B. That stuff they said. I can see your mind. I'm not crazy. It's true. At that moment, the emergency sirens kicked on for one of the other pods, and my stomach lurched. I knew who they were searching for. Then in one swift motion, the man pushed me to the ground, climbed on top of me and put an elbow over my face, and jammed a syringe straight into my neck. I screamed. My arms were pinned, but I flailed and kicked with every bit of strength I had. Don't tell them. Don't you tell them. If you do, you're a dead ducky. (laughs) They'll kill you. (laughs) He said, laughing with wide eyes blood from his nose dripping into my cheek. He tilted his head like a dog and shoved something small down the front of my shirt, icy hands clutching and grabbing at me like a man about to drown, then put his hands around my neck. Time stopped. My head spun as the blood rushed through my veins. The doors burst open and someone pulled him off me. I scurried back to the corner, gasping for air and holding my neck as my colleagues tried to subdue him. It took four men 
to take down this small framed older man. A worried Dr. Sullivan came running into the room, followed by a handful of armed guards who looked like military. They dragged the man away, his mad shouts growing fainter. One guard stayed with Dr. Sullivan as she checked me over. My God, Elliot, are you okay? Did he do anything to you? She said, wiping the blood from my cheek with the sleeve of her coat. I looked up at the guard whose emotionless face seemed to be waiting for an answer. The man's words of warning flashed in my mind. No, uh, no, I'm okay, I'm fine, I said, just a little (laughs) shaken up. Okay, I have to go. I'll check on you later, she said, and left the room. The guard stayed. I gathered up the pieces of my broken mug, trying to act like a man who hadn't just been harpooned in the neck by a mad scientist. I noticed a blood-smeared employee badge against the wall, so I picked it up and handed it to the guard on my way out the door. It read, Dr. Alan Pritchard, Yellow Team Lead, Paleobiology. He nodded, and I headed to the safety of my lab. The thing that the former Dr. Pritchard shoved down my shirt turned out to be a small notebook filled with the ramblings of a man on the brink of insanity. Or was he? We were all familiar with the Organism 46B conspiracy theory here at the Endurance Station. We were working at Lake Vostok, of course. We heard about it, but nobody believed it. A giant shaped shifting 14 tentacled octopus that killed a bunch of Russian divers? A hacked off tentacle that returned later that night to kill the woman who wielded the axe? I mean, it was ridiculous. Right? His scribblings told the story about his work with the Vostok octopi. He theorized that not only were these specimens prehistoric, but their genetic sequence was so unique they seemed to originate from another place entirely, and how they were extracting DNA from the creatures to be introduced to the genetic code of a group of servicemen using an RNA virus, effectively creating what amounted to super soldiers, except that none of them survived. I didn't believe it, at first anyways. It's just that I knew he injected me with something, so of course my mind ran wild. I wasn't feeling great either. My muscles were on fire, my head throbbed, and I was drenched. Dr. Sullivan came to see me later that afternoon. I hesitated at first, but for some reason I knew I could trust her. I asked her about Dr. Pritchard and the biolab pod C, and her thoughts on organism 46B. I kept the notebook to myself. Elliot, are you okay? Yes. Rebecca, I'm fine. Just a question. Do you think there's anything to it? Dr. Pritchard is not well. He was having a mental health crisis, and that's all. And no, I don't. Well, how do we really know? Have you ever been over to the biolab in Pod C? I asked. Of course. She studied my face. Look, would you like me to take you over there? Would that make you feel better? It might, I said. It didn't. The pod was set up like ours, with a large common room and kitchen, a row of treadmills on a line along the windows to the right, and a hallway off to the left where the labs were located. Dr. Sullivan smiled and chatted with a few people while I tried to act casually, although I felt unsteady 
on my feet. I heard her mention Dr. Pritchard, then she nodded in my direction. We walked down the long hallway past locked lab rooms lining both sides, accompanied by the base director. Muffled conversations floated down the corridor. From what I could see through the small windows, they all seemed utterly regular until we entered the specimen lab. Since it was a clean room, we had to suit up. It was dark, illuminated only by blue lights, and it took a moment for my eyes to adjust. The air was humid with a salty, briny quality. The voices were louder now, but still unintelligible. The first line of tanks held strange shrimp with giant pinchers, fish that were almost transparent and what looked to be some kind of mollusk. As we rounded the corner, I expected to see people standing there, but the lab was empty. Along the back wall stood a row of larger tanks. As I got closer, I could clearly hear the voices were coming from inside the aquariums that housed several large octopi. They all came immediately up to the glass, flashing bright, repeating color patterns. It was mesmerizing. I know it sounds crazy, but I could tell they were happy to see me. Slithering masses of tentacles attempted to lift away the heavy lids secured with padlocks on all four sides. Then they told me what I needed to know. Not in words, but the pictures they placed in my mind left no questions as to their message. No, I, I can't do that. I, I won't. Suddenly, waves of pain racked my body and I crumpled to the floor. Something was happening. The creatures stared at me from behind the glass. I, I think they were trying to comfort me. I was on my knees, vomiting a jelly-like substance that tasted vaguely like salt water, and my back pulsed, little fingers probing the inside of my skin, trying to erupt. I could feel them poking through, tearing through the skin and muscle, winding in and around my ribs. The pain was blinding. I howled as bloody chunks of flesh fell to the floor where a dozen sucker-covered tentacles exited through my back and sides, widening the exit wounds as they emerged. The tentacles shuddered and spasmed wildly, painting the walls with red goo and knocking over some of the tanks, flooding the lab with cold water. The emergency sirens went off, and I could hear Dr. Sullivan screaming. She came closer to me, trying to crawl under the mass of waving snake-like arms as the director of the endurance station ran for the door. I tried to yell to her, tell her to stay away, but before I could make a sound, one of the tentacles grabbed her by the neck, lifting her off the floor. Her feet were kicking around inches from my face, and I tried to reach for her, but another tentacle wrapped around her waist and yanked in the opposite direction. I heard a wet tearing sound and a loud pop. I watched her head hit the floor with a thud, mouth open, and a silent scream. And then, I fainted. I woke to utter destruction. Pod C was gone. And I found myself in the corner of the lab where two walls still stood under a small overhang of jagged metal that used to be the roof. The large tanks remained. Although most of the others were smashed, I smelled smoke and saw the other three research pods smoldering. Large swaths of red covered the white snow. Body parts were strewn about. An arm stuck out of the ground in front of me. Its clawed hand frozen in some perverse wave. 
One of the tentacles was rubbing the side of my face in what seemed to be an attempt to wake me up. Here, I sit in the remains of Endurance Station. Dr. Rebecca Sullivan's head tucked close to my side, wrapped snugly into one tentacle. I just can't bear to leave her behind. I wanted to explain, to tell the story with my own words while I can still speak. There's not much left inside me that's human. If you're listening to this, if you've made your way here to the bottom of the world and found this recording somehow, then just know that I'm sorry. I didn't mean for any of this to happen. Please, forgive me. I'm not a monster. At least, I wasn't. Please, please don't go down the borehole and don't look for me. I'm afraid you'll find what you're looking for. I hope you enjoyed today's episode of The Ever Stories. Opportunity of a Lifetime was written by T.M. Friedrich, narrated by Justin Fife, edited by Carl Hughes, and music by Zapsplat.com and Tom Robson. And sound effects provided by freesound.org. The episode illustration was provided by Luke Spooner of Carry On House. A quick thanks to our community managers, Joshua Boucher and Jasmine Arch, and to Carolyn O'Brien for helping with our submission reading. And of course to Ben Arrington for driving me to the comic book convention last weekend after the brakes stopped working in my car. Thanks, man. (laughs) I really appreciate it. T.M. Friedrich cannot be contacted through conventional methods. She is, in fact, from another dimension, a dimension where social media does not exist. Everything is on fire, and the dogs are extra cute. Be patient with her. She figures out how this realm works, but do keep an eye out because she's writing like crazy, and you can keep up with her journey at smarthorrorpublishing.com. Justin Fife is a voice actor and podcaster. You can follow him on Twitter at Justin B. Fife. The Other Stories is a production of the Story Studio Hawk and Cleaver and is brought to you with a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license. That means don't change it, don't sell it, but by all means, share the hell out of it. Until next time. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app. 
you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program.